every single day is brand new for each one of us. And so what that means is that we're going to all mess up and we're all going to say the wrong things. We're going to do the wrong things, get mad at each other for whatever reason. But we have to be willing to accept that. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. Welcome to another episode. Today we're talking about racism, discrimination, and how that affects the mental health of those that experience it. And to help me do that today, Asa Featherstone is here. I appreciate you taking the time to join me. Yeah, appreciate you bringing me on. This is a, it's an honor to be a part of this conversation. Yeah. Uh, well, let's just start out with you uh, telling us a little bit about yourself, and we'll go back to the beginning and talk about some of your experiences. Okay. Um, before I start, though, I would like to uh, just put out kind of a disclaimer just to say that everything that I'll be talking about is is based on my experience and not the holistic black experience. Um, every every experience that someone is, has dealt with as far as um, in terms of racism is going to be different across the board, but every that does not negate their experience as a black person. So every um, every black experience is a black experience. So I just want to start off by saying that, and and I want to speak through that lens. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess we'll start. You know, so I'm from uh, Columbus originally. Uh, my uh, not really a specific neighborhood in Columbus. We, my family and I, we kind of just uh, growing up, just kind of bounced around different neighborhoods within that area. Um, we didn't have a ton of money. And so, um, we kind of just moved wherever, like wherever we had the opportunity to, whether it was, you know, staying with somebody else at their place, or if it was, um, you know, finding a, a, a small apartment, um, that was kind of, uh, uh low cost essentially. And so we were always kind of moving around. I think I don't even remember um, us having a car really until I think I want to say I was like eight or nine years old. Um, I think one of my earliest memories was just like every Sunday. I remember like my dad like coming to pick me up and he'd be holding me by uh, his shoulders, like running to the bus stop so we could make it to church. And so he, um, because uh, he was one of the um, like the praise and worship worship directors there, and so um, I just remember, yeah, we were never really stagnant. We were always kind of just moving, moving along. It's me. I'm in the middle of three children, so I have two sisters. Uh, they're all we're all kind of spread out. So my older sister is eight years older than, or seven years. I'm sorry, seven years older than me, and um, my younger sister is uh, eight years younger. And so it's an interesting kind of dynamic that we all have. But I know growing up, we still, we had the opportunity to kind of learn about the fundamentals of living with a sibling, like sharing and things of that nature. But we were all also kind of spread out enough so where we got uh, kind of our own attention. So it was an interesting time to kind of grow up. But uh, since we moved around so much, we were in different neighborhoods. That meant we were in different school districts. And so there was not a consistency and where we would get an education. So my parents decided to make some sacrifices and decided um, uh, to homeschool me and my older sister at the time when we were younger. So my mom would, she would be our sole teacher essentially. And it's, it's, a, it's a heavy burden to, to bear. Oh, um, so she would, you know, spend all morning and all day with us kind of teaching us what we needed to do for our lessons, but then she would be working at night too. And, and my dad would be working as well. So is it was a sacrifice that we probably should, didn't need to have to make because we were already kind of in a sticky situation, but um, it was something that was important to my family. And now that my mom is an educator anyway, like she, now she's a teacher. So it kind of just, it kind of comes full circle. But um, because of that, uh, because we were homeschooled, like there were not as many interactions with other people. And especially since we're moving from like, you know, town to town to neighborhood to neighborhood, there wasn't really, um, opportunity for us to have as many interactions with other people and, um, uh, really develop those kind of like long t- 
long-term communities, I guess I would say. And so there's some, there's some like, um, some, you know, pros and cons to that, that I won't necessarily get too into, but I think, um, what that means for me is that like, uh, for the most part, I spent a lot of time kind of alone, um, in the best way possible though, just being able to just be myself 100%. And I think that, um, at least from what I remember, like, I don't think I had my first encounter, uh, with racism until like, you know, probably middle school. Cause I, I, um, we eventually, um, my parents had the long-term goal to kind of keep us out of that rotation and that cycle of kind of moving from place to place. And so eventually, um, by grace where you were able to, to move to a neighborhood that, um, uh, my, my, my parents felt was appropriate for us to, um, just kind of, we knew once we, once we moved there, we knew that we were going to be there for a minute. And so they sent us to, they sent us to school. And so I had my first public school experience, uh, when I was like 12, I think. Yeah. So it was around like uh sixth or seventh grade or something like that. And, uh, it was interesting. It was way different. Um, because, uh, you know, growing up, your, your, my parents were always like, you know, they always wanted you to be on your P's and Q's. They wanted you to be extra polite. Make sure you say yes, sir. No, sir. Make sure your shirt's tucked in and all those things. And, um, you know, they would always tell me specifically, I think I got it a little bit harder than my sisters just because, um, I'm a, I'm a black male and what that, and that means something a little bit different in the public eye than it does for my sisters. They will probably disagree and say they got it harder, but you know, whatever, that's, that's just our dynamic. Um, but anyway, they would always tell us that, or they would always tell me that like, you know, uh, you got it, you have to be, uh, near perfect in order to really get, get to that next stage and to really survive and thrive and, and, and to, uh, um, just always you're gonna they're like you're not gonna understand it but you're gonna have to work so much harder than some other people um to get where you want to be and I didn't really know what that meant because as a young age you're just kind of like okay whatever you guys are just being parents but I realized that um there's a different set of eyes on you in the public in the public sphere when you're outside of your kind of home setting and I just remember when I you know one of the first interactions when I was in middle school was um uh, you know, I'm just trying to get, get to know some people having conversations and whatnot. And before I even really told people what I was interested in or anything like that, there was like a, a, a group of a couple, couple dudes that came and just like chatted me up. And, uh, out of nowhere, like one of the guys like talks to his buddy on his right and he's like, Oh man, can you believe it? Like our football team is going to be so good now. And this is like, without any pretense of me even saying that I had an interest in, in any sort of sports, it was basically uh, just based on the the physical makeup that I have. I mean, I'm a little bit taller than everybody else, and I just happen to be black too. So they made the assumption that I'm some stereotype. Some, yeah, some some sort of like uh, star athlete ready to save the day. <laughs> and um, that was yeah. It, and it's interesting because like football's cool, but like it wasn't anything. And I, I like played like like peewee football and stuff like that, but it was never my like main focus. Like, like, a, like prior to even going to like a public school, I, you know, all I was worried about was the stuff I was into and it like football was cool, but it was just something to do when it was, it was hot outside or something. But for the most part, you know, I was in a whole bunch of different stuff. Like I really, I like like video games, comic books. I really liked, um, you know, like skateboarding, like that was my, like my main thing. Like if it was, if there was some sort of like sport or athlete or athletic, uh, uh, activity, that was, that was the one, like that was something that was, that was my jam. Um, and like football was like never one of those things. And it's just interesting that that was the first, the first thought that came to their mind. And I knew at that moment, like it didn't all click. Cause I didn't realize it till later, but thinking about it now, I'm like that, that was one of the first instances where, I realized that that people already feel like they know exactly who I am and what I offer to society before I can even uh, say any words. Open your mouth, right? Exactly. Um, and so that's, that was really, that's that was like a really eye-opening thing because I'm like, okay, now I'm, now in order for me, I'm trying to think like, is this what my parent, my family is talking about? So in order for me to, to survive or to, 
to really make it in this this life? Do I have to be the person that they're telling me I'm supposed to be right now? Um, and that's and it's and that's really hard at like you know. 11, 12, 13 to try to think about that and try to configure um, throughout your, you know, throughout your, uh, you know, because it's it's totally contrary to the way that you kind of have been living beforehand. Um, oh, not not to mention to, I mean, it, I think it's important to mention that um, the school in the neighborhood that we went, uh, moved into was primarily white. And so there weren't that many other um, uh, black people that were at the, at the school, at least in the middle school. I think I was one of like maybe maybe eight to ten or something like that. So it was it was a pretty small pool. Um, but yeah, I mean, just there. Like I said, there's so many instances when I when I got into like middle school, there was like a crash course in like uh, uh, racial shielding yourself shielding yourself against racism because it's gonna come uh, left and right, whether it's um, whether it's uh, based on the language that people are using, like there, there had been, you know, so many instances where um, people are, you know, throwing throwing the N word as like a um, sometimes as a, a gesture, like a, a gesture directed at me, but also just uh, kind of casually, like it was a part of their language, and I would even, you know, approach them in conversation and be like, hey, like, can you not say that? That's pretty offensive. And like, for what? It doesn't matter. You weren't even a part of this. Like, this has nothing to do with you because you're not you're not this person. And so it's uh, it, it's it's there was so many instances like that. And then it even got into the uh, to the the fact that it was affecting who I was interacting with or who I was allowed to interact with. I remember there were um, a couple of times this happened multiple times, actually um in middle and in high school where um I would uh you know I I had a decent after a while I had a decent amount of friends and I would you know try to hang out at your school whether we're doing homework and whatnot and there was a friend uh, a really good friend of mine who was who was a girl and we had like a test that we were studying for maybe like social studies or something I don't know and so she lived close to the school and so instead of me taking the bus home I just walked with her to do some homework and um uh, I remember that like uh uh we got out of school at like two thirty. I think her like her her parents or something came home around like four thirty or five or something like that. And um so we were still doing homework when I was there, but we were inside, we weren't outside. We were I think like four thirty or five o'clock came around. Uh everything was cool and then um and just kinda hear like a the truck pull up her and, and she's like, you know, oh, oh okay, um let's hurry up and finish this up. We don't know what's going on. I'm like, okay, maybe her dad's just like upset because she's got a boy over doing some homework. So she like, he probably thinks I'm trying to spit game or <laughs> whatever, even though I had no intention. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's probably, that's probably what it is. But, um, uh, we didn't like wrap up in time, but she's like, okay, just, that's full. That's fine. Just like, just like act cool or whatnot. Just act like we're still doing our work, which we were. Um, and then her dad comes in and, um uh he greets his daughter and and they kind of have a they like you know do a little greeting after work whatnot and i you know extend extend and uh uh extend a greeting as well and say hey how's it going whatnot and i don't even get eye contact and so i'm like okay oh this guy's like he's probably really mad that she's got a boy over i don't know um and uh, but then that was it he just kind of stormed upstairs and we just kept doing our homework um, and then like, there was a moment, it's like, I feel like he was waiting for it. Cause there was a moment where, um, she, uh, my friend just like went to the, to the restroom to like use the bathroom or something. And, and he like comes down the stairs, like almost immediately, like he was peeping around the corner and it's like, Hey, what are you doing here? You don't need to be here. You have to find a reason to leave and you got to go right now. Um, Jeez, and I was like, at that point, I'm just like stunned. Cause this dude, like, you know, I'm like probably like 14, 15. This dude is, you know, is a grown man. So I don't know what's what's possible, what could possibly be happening or whatnot. So I was just like, okay, let me just pack up my stuff and say I got to have dinner or something. And so I just ended up um, uh, uh, leaving. And um, like, I actually, I don't, I didn't live very close. So I had to just walk. And so I walked back to the school um, and waited like a couple hours to get picked up. 
and um uh then it was like the next day because i think that was like a friday or something so the next day or the next after the weekend we got back and um she tells me that um that we couldn't be friends anymore and uh her her dad doesn't want her talking to me anymore and i was like oh what's up is it you know is it just because like i was a boy i'm not trying to do nothing or anything you know and uh she's just like no we can't talk about it but we we just can't be friends anymore and it was it was pretty clear that that was um that was because of of what i look like again i had no ill ill intentions but um uh was still um looked at as a threat looked like looked at as i was um a potential harm to someone's family a 14 year old it's really interesting to think about that but that's how we're kind of looked at in society i mean you look at um an example like the uh, like a trayvon martin or a, a tamir rice who are both both young just um young boys still learning about life and just being who they are um and that ended up ending up uh, costing them their lives just because uh they're being and that's um that's like a that's a crazy amount of pressure to kind of have throughout every single day and it's not new it's it's just like a thing that just continues to build over time and it follows you everywhere and there's so many different instances where that stuff kind of plays out that don't necessarily end in murder but they can scale up to that um, did you talk to your parents about that <clears throat> when that i mean when those that day that he said that and then the day she i mean did did you open a dialogue or did you keep it to yourself um i, I brought up that incident um but it wasn't for a long time afterwards like it was i want to say uh, like probably like uh, more than a year afterwards just after it, it was came up randomly in conversation when my parents like asked about this friend They're like hey we haven't heard from such and such in a while what happened but it wasn't anything where i was immediately after like when i got picked up i didn't i was just like you know it's time to go but um and 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 a lot of that can be um is part of the the issue as well just because the 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 whole narrative around um speaking up about racial um situations and racial injustices is like you got to put up with it like that's something that you kind of learn like early is that this stuff happens um and this is this is the reason that um my parents would say like you've got to be buttoned up because any moment that you have any time any 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 moment that you slip up can be detrimental to you can harm you either emotionally or physically spiritually any of that and so but the the narrative of always has always been that this stuff happens every day it happens to all of us we don't know how to deal with it really so you got to put up with it and so that's i think that's probably one of the most harmful like ways to deal with something like that because you're not even dealing with it right and it's something that that we just have to hold in our in us and then uh and it never gets a moment to release and we wait until the next thing kind of uh takes place and then that digs a deeper hole into whatever situation and whatever we're feeling uh emotionally and so um uh yeah i think that you know and that's why you have so many uh so many people that are that are so emotional and angry because there's nowhere for that stuff to go we have never been given the opportunity to 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 speak up or speak out and when we do a lot of times it falls on deaf ears because um uh one until up until recent like people didn't see it and so they're like oh, okay um you're saying this stuff but like it's not slavery so it's not really racism you know and so um uh and that's on the outside, but even internally, there's like a hardness that we have t towards it just because it's not new and it's something that we've all kind of had to just deal with um, because we all have. Like, that's just how it's been for uh, since since we've arrived at this place. Everyone from me, um, my parents, their parents, their parents and their parents have all dealt with this stuff. And so this is not new. 
we understand that this is a thing that's going on, but this is just what you have to deal with if you want to make it or survive in this in this country. And it's that's pretty messed up. <laughs> no, it's it's, yeah. it's terrible. And it and like you said, I mean, it's the, the worst thing that can happen is not talking about it. Mm-hmm. But when you don't have, when you don't know what you don't know, you don't know where to go, um, and having to deal with that on a daily basis also gives you puts hard bark on you and an edge towards others Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's a it's difficult yeah and um one of the things that that's tough about it too is that when you um is that like i was saying earlier like it's it's hard to kind of communicate with it with someone outside of someone who's ex- who's already experienced it so outside of the black community um because one they haven't they haven't experienced or seen it so they don't really know what where you're coming from um and they don't sometimes to be honest like a lot of people don't feel that it's real until until they witness it themselves that's why people are going crazy right now um because they've seen all the video footage and things of that nature um another you know another example that happened to me um that was in college. Like I remember back, um, again, like I'll bring up, you know, Trayvon Martin again and, um, a lot of stuff that was going on in Ferguson and all that. When that was happening, there was a dialogue that I had with some kids in college and, you know, we would go back and forth. Most of them were, were white. And and I would try to explain to them, them, this to them, just to let them know that like people are dying out here because of racism and it's not new it's happening to everybody and it's even happening to me i'm still here and i'm not i haven't been murdered but i experienced a lot of the stuff to a similar degree that they have too and a lot of it was kind of just you know brushed off saying like oh, okay what but they were probably stealing or whatever there was some sort of justification behind the racism um and i'm like nah this stuff happens and it comes in way different forms and it wasn't until like a, probably like a year or so later, I was with this similar group of people at um, like a, a tailgate. I went to UC um, and uh, uh, for some reason that day, I just like wasn't feeling it. I just wasn't feeling like a, like a, um, I didn't feel like really going and like enjoying like a crazy football game, but like I didn't want to be by myself either. So I was like, okay, I'll hang out with everybody and um, I won't drink anything. You know, I'll just chill and I'll just be everybody's DD once like we're ready to go and things of that nature. And so everybody's having a good time. I go to the tailgate. Um uh everybody kind of had their fix in and things of that nature. And it was time, I think it was like halftime of the game. We were probably getting smacked because we're not great. So <laughs> so I think we were like leaving the game early or something. And so I was headed to um uh, I, I brought my friend's truck because he had a um he had a, the the truck so we could tailgate. So we went back to his truck we loaded everybody up probably had like probably six or seven of us or something like that it was a decent group but we had um uh loaded the car loaded up the truck got ready to go and we were leaving like the parking area and as i was leaving the parking area the um, there was a police officer that stopped us i was the one driving everybody else because they had been drunk and that was that was the plan um and so they had stopped us before leaving the parking lot and they had asked, um, they had asked me, they're asking like, what am I doing? I'm like, you know, obviously I'm going to say it politely, but I'm like, clearly we're leaving. Like, well, there's nothing else that I could say. But he, you know, I, I told her politely, I was like, I'm just trying to get everybody home. We're ready to go. We had a night, we had a long day. Um, and he's like, whose car is this? I'm like, he's my friend's car, but, um, he can't drive right now. Everybody had kind of too much to drink. Um, but I'm the, I haven't had anything and I'm good. Like I'm good to go. So I'm taking everybody home. We're not too far off. And, um, he said, well, uh, he looked around, he looked at me, looked back and he saw that most of the other passengers were, were white. And he's like, uh, what if one of those, what if one of them can drive you home? Um, I'm like, no, sir, they can't actually drive. They have been drinking since noon (laughs) today. Like they can't. Uh, And he's like, uh, well, I don't know. I think I'm gonna need you to step out of the car. And so I'm like, sir, we're literally like, we're 10 minutes up the road. It's not that, it's not that far, but, um, you know, kind of going back to the lessons I learned, like you, especially when you're uh, interacting with police officers, just like, 
you don't want to risk anything because any any you could sneeze in their face and that could be that could be the the move that ends your life. Um, and so uh, I got out of the car. I was like, okay, let me step out. I figured I was just gonna. I don't know what he's gonna do, but um, he picked somebody at random. He's uh, he's like went to the back seat. He's like, okay, so you take the driver's seat and you drive everybody home. I was like, sir, they're not good to drive. And the rest of the people in the car were also were like, no, Asa is the one that is, that is driving. We had this agreement. We live right up the street and all that. Um, and then he like, uh, he's like, are you even a student here? Let me see your IDs. And so like he showed, I had to show him my student ID. Um, the rest of the, the rest of us showed the student ID, the student IDs as well. Um, but then, you know, we kind of had a back and forth for like another, like probably eight to 10 minutes. And he's just like, you know what? Um, I'm just going to need you to, um, just to stay away from the car. I'm going to have one of them drive it home and you can find another way back home. And I'm like, I can't oh, even on, get back. Yeah. Okay. So he picked somebody at random that was in the car that was intoxicated, told them to drive and didn't let you get back in the car. No, I, I no, he had, he had told me that, um, uh, yeah, I had to, I had to walk back home, even though he didn't know how far that distance was going to be. But, um, it, it was, it was the strangest encounter. I think I, you know, probably ever had with the police officer. I mean, I'd, I'd been, been pulled over multiple times for dumb stuff. Like, you know, like a, a low, low lit taillight or like driving right at center, but never something like this, especially ending it, like, uh, coming to that extent. Honestly, I think that like, if I would have, if I would have escalated anything to a, to a higher degree, I feel like that, like that was the, the he was ready to do something. He, he was ready to at least arrest you. He, yeah. He was ready for something. And so I was like, you know what? Luckily, like I only lived about like a mile up, but I was, so I, so I ended up having to walk back. Um, two other people got out of the truck and walked back with me, which was, which was, um, which was nice. And we had a conversation on that walk back. Um, just cause this is, this is the first time that they had seen anything of that scale. This wasn't new to me. This specific instance was different, but this type of treatment, especially from people with that sort of, um, who have been given that permission to have that power. Um, so we had, a, we had a conversation about, what this means and and how racism impacts because now it didn't imp- impact it more than just me it was the group of friends because luckily they got it home okay but they could have all been in a car accident or they could have been killed because of that person's prejudice towards me just driving a car and what that image does to them and so we had like a a, a, a nice uh, i don't even want to say nice but we had a real conversation um, actually after the walk and even like a couple hours after that, just to talk about like, yo, you see this now, you saw it firsthand. You can't act like it doesn't exist anymore. We had this conversation like, you know, not too long ago and y'all weren't with it. Y'all weren't believing me. Y'all didn't see it happening, but now you do. And now you have to, now you have to speak up when you see things like this happen. Now, did there, the people in the car, when you saw them at a later time, the people that you were walking with, did it change their mindset? Did they realize? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah. it's hard that they couldn't, but you know what I mean. I yeah. Mean, did they start to have uh, an empathetic view to what really goes down on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, they didn't get the full the full extent because that was one day in one instance, but sure. they, um, they were asking more questions and that weren't even being brought up unless I would bring them up. And when I brought them up, it seemed like I was just like the angry black dude that deals that just you know is being angry just because but i think now that you know the i say yeah, the conversation started opening up and ha- we started having them more frequently because they saw it firsthand so um and it's a shame that you and you mentioned this earlier where you were talking to a, a different group of friends is sometimes it takes people encountering it and seeing it in person to realize that it's not just talk mm-hmm. and, and because it's out of sight, out of mind for most people. Exactly. You know? That's what, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's like the foundations of privilege. That's why it exists. We're calling it, this specifically could be white privilege. But I think even, there's even, uh, even me as a black male has some sort of privilege against other, other black people too. 
And so, uh, but that's what privilege does. It It is a system designed so you don't have to notice some of those things. That's why you have that sort of privilege. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's so, it's so wild to me just because um, so many of us have so many stories and so many, um, so many things that we can share that we can't, like they're limitless. And I'm, I'm in my mid twenties. Like I'm, I'm just now getting started. There are so many people who have gone through uh, life, lifetimes of events and experiences um, who, you know, who may not ever be able to share all of them. And we can't because it's just something that we do every day. But um, I think it's, I think that the, the, the toughest thing about it uh, goes back to that part where I say that it's, it's not really kosher to, to bring up any of that stuff, especially with, with, you know, sometimes within your own community. Um, I have two ways of thought. There's something that we call, what I'm explaining here is, is what we're called. We call it the struggle. Um, as black people, we all go through the struggle. Um, and it does two things. I think it's a two headed monster. So part of the struggle, what, the, what that is, is that it's just an understanding that, that we go through a ton of crap and we have to go through so much in order for us to, um, to be seen at base level. So we have to work. I do the, I do the 10 times example. We got to work 10 times as hard as the next person to be seen, uh, as somewhat of a human. And, and that can be played out in so many different instances. It's so, uh, we black people, or African-Americans have a, an understanding of what that struggle is because we just experience it and we live it and we communicate that to one another. And what that does is, um, one, it, it hardens us to a lot of these experiences, um, especially when we share it with one another. We There's like a lack of grace sometimes just because uh, like we don't, we don't have... We don't have an answer for why this stuff is happening. We don't. We just don't. It's there's no justification behind racism. We just know that it's happening, and so it just it hurts and it's hard. And so we can communicate that with one another, but none of it that we're sharing. Sure, this the specific, the specific instances could be can be you know different, but nothing that we're sharing is new information. And so there's like a lack of sometimes a lack of tenderness within the group to to talk about some of this stuff um, because we don't know how to, how to approach or how to deal with it. And then, but at the same time, the other side of the, uh, of the coin is that we also, since we do have that understanding of the struggle, nobody else will understand our life experience other than us, our people. And so because of that, I think that also brings us together in in ways that I feel no other community or culture or um, uh, ethnic background really has that sort of unity because there's not that understanding of that that struggle that we got to and now like there's you'll see like they make fun of it on like sitcoms or not like just on TV but like um, there's like an episode of like Blackish when um, uh, Andre he like. There's like an episode where where they they're talking about like the nod where like you you can just like walk across the street and see another black person and you just like give them a nod just like even if you don't know him and I guess like the episode was funny because his son didn't understand the nod because he was like he was taken away from the community so he didn't know about that part of um of like the culture essentially but it's true I mean that stuff happens like there's so many people um. And there have been so many times where, like, I walk and I'll, like, you know, it happens every day. I just walk and see somebody, another black person I know, and I just, like, or I don't know. I see him across the street. I pass him by. I just give him a head nod and acknowledge their existence. And I think that that, that comes from the fact that, that we know what it took for that person to be standing there that day. Each time, each day is a blessing. And so we're, like we're like brother or sister or whoever, like, I see you, whatever you did to get here. Congratulations. We worked really hard to get to this point, just to walk. If you're going to the library or wherever, or the gas station, who knows, but congratulations. I see you keep doing your thing. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really interesting 
interesting concept, but I think that that's one of the uh, one of the main things that kind of brings uh, us us black people together for real. So, why do you think <clears throat> the police? It's it's become such a over time. It's such a problem with law enforcement. I think that this has been happening. Like, Not, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, uh, man. It, it just it just seems like that story you're telling me. I can't stop thinking about it. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it, it just seems that there's an edge there that it's automatic on defense that something might happen. When yeah, it's, when it's clearly, if you have any, you know, just clear sense that in that situation, everything was a-okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think when we talk about the justice system, you got to throw common sense out the window. Yeah, I guess. It's, it's um, yeah, you think so many times logically, you know, after, you know, after your knees on somebody's neck for uh, you know, maybe three minutes, let alone eight minutes, 46 seconds, you'd probably think that you should, <laughs> you should let go. Right. But, um, uh, yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. And I think it's, man, it is, it's, so the, the justice system is just, I think the most clear and most explicit example of the way that this place has been ran, like this country has been ran as a whole. I think that's just the easiest, not easiest, but the most um, frequently visible, like the most visible uh, way that we can see this kind of play out. And I think that, you know, um, man, a lot of it is, is fear. You're asking me an interesting question because I feel like this is one of the questions that, that there's no answer to. Yeah, It's like, you're asking me to justify racism essentially. And it's like, this is just based on someone's ideology that has been passed on um, uh, because they wanted, um, they're, they're seeking power for some reason, power over others. Um, and that to, to be, become systemic. Yeah. It, it's, and you, you, yeah, you get a, you get a collection of people who also want that sort of power and want to maintain that power for themselves and for the, their, the people that are coming behind them and things of that nature. So they create these mechanisms that continue to boost them and, uh, at the expense of others, not thinking, they're not thinking about the other side of the people. They're thinking about themselves. We want to win. We want to get to this, to this situation like we want to get to the top and we want to stay here so whatever we got to do to stay here we're going to do it and if that means putting other people down treating them like uh you know three-fifths of a human even lesser than then like get then get going i mean like people think about like the stuff that you know uh, donald trump is 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 on he's he spent his entire time in this uh in his in his office trying to get people out like he's trying to because because uh he, he's trying to build these walls he's trying to ship people out because he's trying to um to keep he's he's scared that there's if there are more people um with a certain level of power that his will be taken away not thinking that that this country and this place is a place of opportunity for everybody there's an infinite amount of of chances and opportunities for people to rise and to succeed as people. But, um, I think a lot of, um, what you're, what you're asking comes from a place of fear. So I think that there is a fear, especially in our, in our justice system, um, uh, that, that their opportunities for success and for comfort will be taken away if other people get it. And so, um, and it's another thing that, it's also something that uh, like all of the, the policies and the systems that we have are old. Like they, they have not been critically looked at. They've been, you know, we're still treating this like we're in, you know, 18, 1900s when if we're going to progress through technology and through our infrastructure and all of these things, we got to, we got to adjust and change our, uh, adapt our policies for the time too. Not to say that it was right back then either. So it's just like, um, it's, 
yeah, I, th- I, I really do think that it comes from a place of fear. I really think that um, the because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, like we were here. I mean, they brought us here. We were here the same time y'all were <laughs> y'all were here, and y'all were the ones that brought us. So how is it that um, that we are still after all this time we've had not we haven't had the opportunity to even be in the you know same speaking space uh, as you. Um, but I, yeah, I really do think that it is uh, it is it is fear of uh, of control and power being like relinquished. Um, I really do think that this place was rooted in something like kind of sinister as far as trying to um like this trying to take over the the world essentially this is a space kind of designed to be um uh like a a powerhouse essentially into into run run the world and so with that um you gotta make a lot of sacrifices but um the narrative that we have been told about this country and what it's supposed to do is been uh, just primarily it's just been lip service. Like it's that's that's all it is really. But well, um, let's talk about mental health. Um, yeah. Do you think it's harder for people of color to address mental health challenges because they're already stigmatized? on a societal level yeah i I would say like yeah there's so much to that because you know on a societal level um yeah we can go there i mean i think like black people are supposed to just naturally be these strong hardened people anyway and so um and one we're not even looked at as humans and so as humans we're not if we're not looked at as humans we can't be looked at as if we um, even have mental uh, mental illnesses or emotional illnesses and things of that nature, we're not even looked at as human. So that's not even an option on the societal level. I think internally too, there's this goes back to what I was talking about in terms of the struggle. Like, like you know, from an early age, your grandma, or your mom, or your dad tells you like you just better put up or shut up. Or if you have something that's you have something that that is bothering you. You better pray and ask and ask God to fix it, because um, you don't need to be like because He's the only one that can do it. And that, into some, into a degree, that's true. But it doesn't. We have not given ourselves the opportunity to even name what this feeling is and what this sensation is, because no one else, no one else has lived it like except people in our community. But um, it's. Yeah, I think that it's so cha- it's so challenging. I'll speak from my experience because you know all of the you know leading up to you know going to middle school and all these high school and and all these examples I'm talking about where I I in some degree um, I found a way in most instances to kind of mold myself to be some image of what uh, society or this group wanted me to be because that was a coping mechanism because if I acted any more me or if I slipped up one moment they're gonna come at me and they're gonna they're gonna say well look he's he's doing this because he's black first and foremost and you know what we're not supposed to trust black people we knew we weren't supposed to so so get on so get on get on and get out and so um for me I think and I think a lot of people kind of go through that where they're they're living as um, they're con- they're so constrained because they're just tired because if they are, you know, if they do one thing that is, you know, out of the ordinary or slip up or, you know, they say one wrong thing to the wrong person, that could be something that's detrimental to their lives. And so I think that a lot of times we um, we we hold on to that and we just we just cope and. And it digs, it digs into us. There's a, um, oh, there's an example. There's an, an example. Uh, there's something, example of like uh, something I call like thorn in my side. It's basically what it is. This idea of racism, where it's um, you have these, um, this beautiful rose bush that we will call, we'll call it. Uh, the U.S. or something, this country, 
It's a beautiful rose bush, and you can walk through, and you can see the beautiful rose bush. But every now and then, every like with every rose, there's some thorns, and so you know you may get pricked a little bit as you're walking through the beautiful rose bush. Um, and those rose ro- and those thorns can act as like uh, these uh, experiences of racism. And so those thorns kind of get stuck on your side a little bit, but you got to keep moving. Um, and as you're waiting for this one to kind of heal and you're trying to address this one, you're still, you keep walking and you, you hit another thorn and another one keeps going. She's like, okay, this one's dug a little bit deep, but this one hurts over here too. And while you're like trying to rest and think about that, another one keeps coming up. And so I think that's like, um, and, and, and so in this in this mechanism, there has the narrative has been that there's nowhere to address these thorns and nowhere to talk about these thorns. And so the 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 deeper those things get into your hip, the more painful it becomes. And at some point you reach a certain level of pain where you just can't deal with it anymore. And a lot of people that leads to um uh deep deep levels of depression. It leads to um People commit suicide, suicide. for, um, uh, and, and it's, and it's so hard because this is an instance where, again, you can't justify it. So it's like, you're looking and you're like, I'm just trying to be me, but me is, a uh, um, is menacing to other people. And so I don't know how to maneuver through this life, at least in this, in this place where we live, I can't, I can't figure it out. And I'm not really supposed to talk to a, a therapist or anybody about it because that's not part of what we do as a community and so it just continues to dig at you um and so sometimes you just can't handle it i mean some people are able to build like a callus over those uh thorns and those wounds and just like move on but those are certain type of people but i think a lot of us we owe it to ourselves to be more open about these experiences because i feel like a lot of us are um highly anxious um we do a lot of us are suicidal and a lot of us suffer from depression too undiagnosed and uh, and and it's stuff that we just don't communicate about which is uh such a detrimental narrative because to like you know we're such a beautiful a beautiful people and so it's just hard to see that there are some that that just can't make it and you can't blame people for that, you know? So it's just a, yeah, it's. And access to care is, especially mental health is hard and in short supply for everybody. Yeah, And I think in communities and colleges, there's not many people going into the field of mental health. Mm -hmm. And so when everybody is spread so thin, and everybody is taught not to share and people going through these terrible things when you don't have an outlet for it like you said the thorns keep coming uh, but what do you think what do you think the biggest barrier is i mean or to change i mean mm-hmm. how, how can we yeah start to change start yeah. to change this so people can get access and, and get over the, the the stigma of mental health and talking about their feelings and trying to get their hearts and minds healthy. Yeah, there's um, man, a couple things. Like, I mean, you're hitting on some stuff, and I think that a lot of it is is due to like a lot of the reasons that we are that we also don't have access to um, like mental health professionals and things of that nature is because like we don't have the education. There's so many like neighborhoods and communities that don't even know that those spaces exist, even if they do in their community. So it's like, and, and a lot of times that they have it, there's, yeah, they just don't see it as, as a viable option because maybe their health healthcare plan doesn't, doesn't like support that type of, um, of, of treatment or care. And so I think education is a huge, huge, huge part of it. Um, we just got to um, get, like let people know that it's there. And we have to make it easy for people to get that. Like, um, I'm gonna be honest. Like, I know a bunch of people who like don't have health insurance um, because they can't afford it. And um, even if so, even if they they found a mental health professional, they 
couldn't go. They couldn't get right. to see out of them. pocket. And, yeah, yeah, and that's that's outrageous oh, and expensive. It is. it is. So, um, yes, education's a huge a huge part of it. Um, and I think and I think what it's going to take is we need some more, uh, like black leadership in those in those realms as well because again it's one of those things where a lot of uh a lot of uh african americans we just trust our people and so like we wouldn't want someone if we do have access to that we'd want to make sure that it's one someone who understands what we're going through again it's a struggle um but you know and and it, it and it takes more because I think one of the other things that we do as black people sometimes is um, we we often victim victimize ourselves really really hard um, and we we go like okay the system's not made for us we're just gonna just survive and just do this thing um, uh, uh, which is true but also I think oftentimes we uh, don't give ourselves uh, the opportunity to to kind of push beyond that. And so I think it takes, cause it, it, it goes both ways as well. So I think that, um, even as black people too, we need to, um, uh, be just like humble, humble up, be vulnerable with each other and be willing to accept and receive, um, uh, that emotional pain that we're all going through, we don't address it. And so we can't move forward if we just keep shoving stuff behind. Like, I know we're all tired of, um, I think we're in an interesting moment now because I think things are shifting a little bit, but I know we're tired of seeing um, more people dying from the justice system um, and from other reasons too, uh, not specifically to, um, to police brutality, but just to, from all of the other racist systems that are put in place. Like there's so many people's, um, family members who have been locked up in jail for something that they were wrongly accused for. And they've been there for years, but they won't even get a chance because of how they look. Um, and so, you know, I think that, um, that, you know, so, so one is education, Two was vulnerability with each other. Um, and uh, also, I think that that on in that same coin, it's also uh, openness to listen from from uh, our like white counterparts and just open and being able to use the platforms that you have to potentially help us get more mental education if you are a vet if you know somebody or if you know anything about it if you know links books whatever share that with the people that you love that you know are going through some of this stuff you may not be able to um directly uh um understand everything they're going through and directly be able to help or change that but you can help provide resources for them um and give them opportunities to just um to seek that healing like we you know that's a that's a relatively new term for black people is healing like the first time i heard us talk about it was this year and really yeah like we don't it's just not a conversation um and so you know uh, yeah just and I, I think that it really does in order for us to change the whole kind of the system as a whole um, we need everybody like you can't just it can't always just be us like yelling and, you know, protesting. And that does make an impact and it makes noise. But we need everybody to take part two in whatever way fits best. It may you may not be a protester, but you may be an educator or you may be a mental health professional or anything. But we have to uh, you may be in the justice system. You may be a politician. We got to work together and we have to listen to each other and hear. Um. Uh, and, and listen to learn, not just to uh, say that you did it and check it off and keep moving on. So it takes a village. Um, and then uh, I'll say uh, in in that vein, I think in trying to work together to make this thing happen, um, obviously vote. People are talking about like voting. That's a big thing right now. I'm not going to hit on that just because that's Man. that's the narrative. We all know. Um, but, uh, uh, 
that's something that we can that we're working towards in November. And depending on what happens, we'll have to wait again till the next election season. So, uh, with that regard, do there's something that we can do every day. Every day is an opportunity for us to learn and grow and um, move the needle together, have these conversations. Because I think we all impact the system, even if we don't feel like we do or we don't know it. We are a product of this country and we've been living here for generations. And so by nature, we do participate in some of these, um, uh, in like the racist systems. So it could, and it can play out in so many different ways. So it's like, check your language, check, check how you speak to people, check how you see them. If you, if you notice yourself walking, uh, on the street and you end up crossing the street because you think someone looks intimidating to you, check yourself. Just think about that. Think about the impact that that has on that person's mental health and their emotional well being because they notice it. Um, you know, if you're using language or speaking ill about some people, think about why you're doing that. Um, and, uh, and shoot, just be willing to, to just to mess up. Like we're in a whole new space. Like there's so many of us that are, are feeling mentally and emotionally drained, not only because of the racist system, but this is a whole new world we're in. We're in this pandemic right now. And so every single day is brand new for each one of us. And so what that means is that we're going to all mess up and we're all going to say the wrong things. We're going to do the wrong things, get mad at each other for whatever reason. But we have to be willing to um, to accept that. And again, be humble. And the fact that, you know, I don't know everything about racism or, or social justice or whatever. And you don't know everything about the pandemic or whatnot, but we're all learning it together. And so if I mess up, I'm going to be like, okay, I probably shouldn't have said that. I'll learn next time. We'll figure it out. Um, so I think that's a big component of it too. Uh, and then, man, as far as, you know, everything else kind of going on, I think that this is, but this is just my opinion, but I, I, I live my life by faith too. So I think that that's a huge component and, you know, when, when sometimes you can't get answers from the world, you gotta go, you gotta go elsewhere. Um, but I really do think as far as mental health and and the mental component about it is that we just need to, to it's vulnerability is huge for the black community, huge. And so being open to new, uh, to being open to being open about what's happening is a, is, is a form of therapy in itself. Right. And, and education, awareness, asking for help. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a huge thing. It's hard for people to do, but to, to ask for help when, um, even if it may fall on deaf ears, you know, continue to search and, and look for, for the resources that are available because there's nothing worse than keeping it in and something catastrophic happening but we all do have to come together and 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 try and learn about what uh other folks are going through Mm -hmm. so that we understand right Uh, so what do you want to leave us with uh shoot man just (laughs) just love on people just love and I, i think like just show grace Right now, we're in a moment where we're just so um, kind of judgmental on everybody because, you know, we just want to point fingers and be right. But we have to show more grace in order for us to really progress. And so on like the, you know, so for the uh, for my end, um, for, for black people, I think we need to be more. Um, of course, we're tired, but we need to be more graceful and more understanding that people who are new to this situation have not lived with it forever. So we have to be patient in order for us to kind of move and grow together. And, um, uh, and just like, yeah, we just, and on on the other end, just, uh, show some humility and love towards your brothers and sisters, because that's what we are to each other. Yeah. Well, Asa, thank you. And I appreciate you taking the time. And we just got to continue to get the word out and and try and strive for change. That's all we can do. That's right. right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound. Artwork by Neltner Smallbatch. 
and photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com.